Hi, I want to welcome you to Growing Nimble Families. My name's Melitza. My hope this show is a place where mothers like you can safely explore a slower, simpler and playful lifestyle so that you can get to the heart of what your family needs to thrive both now and in the years to come. If you're wondering about the change of name from Raising Playful Tots to Growing Nimble Families, then listen to episode number 200 first, but you are still in the right place. So on with today's show. Kids need a lot of encouragement. They need confirmation and validation. Can you look at this? Do you like it? Am I supposed to be doing this? As school-aged children, we know that our kids, that's what they want. They want the validation. They want us to check things. Now, they show it to us in many different ways. Sometimes they're very obvious and they'll tell you, can you look at this? And sometimes they'll act out so that we know that they want us to pay attention to them. When I have the energy, I love to ask the question, well, what do you think? I like to ask that first because I want them to value their feelings about things and not just rely on my reaction and my thoughts and my feelings. I know my feelings carry a lot of weight. It can be a minefield if you say the wrong things without thinking, right? It's easy to say the wrong things when you're preoccupied and more and more of us are preoccupied now with notifications and posts and pings from our phone. We're pulled in many different directions all at once. We've got other kids, we've got work, there's traveling to clubs and all the 100 other things that are going on. Focus can be difficult. Kids are having a hard time with focus too. My eight-year-old just bought himself a fidget spinner four days ago and every day I nearly lose it for him on my behalf, but I don't. He spins that thing everywhere. We were talking about a life skills project together he's working on and I could tell he just zoned out as we were going back and forth and having just normal conversation. He's a very tactile child, so that spinner in his hands while we were having a conversation just meant that he began focusing on that fidget spinner and zoning out of a conversation that we were having because the fidget spinner for him was really a toy and a distraction. Neither of us were being very mindful in those, both those situations. And I'm sure I'm not alone. I'm sure many of you find in different ways that your children's focus isn't as well as it could be. And that you find that maybe your focus is like that too. Today I have an interview for you from a mindfulness expert who will help us to be more mindful within our families. When I first heard about mindfulness, I was a little skeptical, but in our world full of distractions, we have to have something better that brings us back from all those squirrel moments that rob us of our focus. It's a really difficult thing to actually teach. It's easier to be able to teach kids what their times tables or how to tie a shoelace because you can see tangibly written down on a screen or using your fingers the numbers and you can manipulate the pieces on uh, pebbles if you're doing times tables you can have the shoelace and actually wrap it around and show them a hundred times or watch a video and see how it is but mindfulness ah, it's one of those things you can't really touch it in the same way but it's so powerful 
when I first heard about it, I was like, I'm not sure. But mindfulness is just like emotional literacy, empathy, self-regulation, the power of focus. These are essential skills for our children to thrive in. And sometimes we need a little help in being able to talk about these things and bring them into everyday family life. It's much easier when we've got those cognitive skills, the graded work, the things that are tangible that we can see. But today we're going to work on some of those things that we can't see as much. I have an episode on emotional literacy and I'll link to that in the show notes for you to be able to look at that. And I have some other interviews that are coming up that we'll talk about some of those other skills that seem a little difficult to do and we really know about them but actually finding time to practice them is a difficulty. So during this interview, we talk about concrete ways of being mindful. So we go through a few definitions of what mindfulness is and what it really isn't. And that's quite funny. And making sure that we can do some of these activities without adding extra burden to our days. There's a lot of stuff that we already do. We don't want to add even more things to are quite full schedule. So let's see if we've got some new ideas that we can weave in and add, but without adding actual extra work. We talk about activities that do work and some activities that don't, because it depends on our families, and why mindfulness will change your family life in unexpected ways. Today I'm talking to Dr. Carla Nomberg. She is the author of Ready, Set, Breathe, Practicing Mindfulness with Your Children for Fewer Meltdowns and a More Peaceful Family, and Parenting in the Present Moment, How to Stay Focused on What Really Matters. Dr. Carla Nomberg is a mother and writer with a background in clinical, social work, and academia. And the topic we're going to talk about today is mindfulness practices for kids, families, and peaceful homes. Don't we all want that? Peaceful homes. Welcome to the show today. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Well, there's a lot more conversation and research that confirms that as parents we mustn't neglect emotional literacy, empathy, self-regulation and teaching the power of focus. But still yet there are lots of parents that are deeply tied to the, the cognitive skills to help children to succeed and have largely neglected the, the emotional and social skills to work on. Can you share with us why mindfulness is a big deal? Yeah, I can. And that's a great question to lead off with. And uh, before we get to the mindfulness part, what I want to say to all of you parents out there who are struggling with concepts such as emotional literacy and how to, you know, basically how to teach your children to manage big feelings and difficult situations. What I want to say to you is we're all in that together because nobody taught us, yes. you know, for for as long as I can think of, this wasn't part of our language. It wasn't part of sort of the life curriculum that parents were teaching their children. Um, it just, it wasn't on anybody's radar. And so if you are a parent listening to this and thinking, how am I supposed to teach this to my kids? I'm not a social worker or a psychologist. Join the club. We're all in it together and we're all figuring out how to do this. So I just want to put that caveat out there. So now moving on to mindfulness. One of the reasons why it's a big deal is because it is the fundamental practice 
that will set the stage and create the context for our children to develop skills such as empathy, paying attention, dealing with stress, managing big feelings. And I'd like, I think the easiest way to explain that connection is to take a moment to define mindfulness as I write about it in Ready, Set, Breathe. And what I write about is that, you know, because I think some of us think that mindfulness is this sense that we're always in the present moment or we're always feeling peaceful and happy or we're sitting cross-legged, you know, breathing (laughs) or chanting. And so for a lot of parents, that's like, I don't know what you're talking about and that doesn't really work for my life, so thank you, no, which (laughs) I get. And that's not how I think about mindfulness. So the way I define it in my book, and this is a definition that's sort of fairly common in the mindfulness world, I didn't come up with it, is that mindfulness is choosing to notice what's happening right here and now with kindness and curiosity. So I'm going to say that again. It's choosing to notice what's happening in the present moment right here and now with kindness and curiosity. And I've adapted those words a little bit to make them more friendly to children, but some people also talk about sort of paying attention in a non-judgmental way. Basically what I'm talking about is basically what I'm talking about is noticing and getting interested in your own experience. The reason this is important is that so many of us can move through life having our attention kind of dragged around. You know, if you're a parent, your kid yells at you, and then all of a sudden you're sort of whipping around to seeing what's going on with them, or your phone beeps, and so you're staring at the screen, or something else lights up, and you're Mm -hmm. staring at that, and your attention is just kind of dragged around. You don't get used to, okay, now I need to pay attention to this work assignment I'm working on or this, you know, dish I'm cooking for dinner. I want to make sure it doesn't burn. Or I actually need to sit with my child and pay attention to them because they need me right now. And if we're not used to sort of choosing where we're going to put our attention, it's going to be really hard to do that when we need to. The other piece is sort of learning how to sustain our attention, even in difficult times. And so what happens is maybe you notice or maybe your child notices that they're dealing with a really big, really unpleasant feeling. I mean, it's pretty hard to miss that when our kid is like flailing on the floor and screaming. But it's unpleasant. And so we just want it to go away. Like just, you know, in my worst parenting moments, I just want to look at my kids and be like, stop it. Just stop it. Just be quiet. Stop. Because it's so unpleasant. I don't want to hear their screaming. Nobody does. But part of mindfulness is, is noticing that sensation inside ourselves and saying, okay, so I really don't want to hear this how am I going to, what am I going to do about that? Like getting curious about that. Okay. I don't want to be present for this experience. How am I going to deal with that? And sometimes it's like, okay, I'm going to take a deep breath and sit with my child. And sometimes it's, you know what? My kid is safe. They're freaking out, but they're safe. So I'm going to go in the other room and breathe until I can calm down. And then I can come back and attend to my child. And so the way this all comes back to empathy, paying it, helping our children focus, pay attention is that you can't respond skillfully to difficult situations. You can't be empathic to another person if you don't notice what your experience is in the first place. Like you have to notice, oh, I'm having strong feelings or I'm having a hard time paying attention or I notice that I need this or something like that. And so often we don't notice these basic things and our kids don't notice. By teaching them, oh, can you notice that you're having a really hard time right now? Can you pull yourself mentally out of this tantrum enough to see that you're having a hard time and you need help and I'm here to help you. And that sounds so basic. It sounds really obvious. And yet our kids often can't do that. And we as adults can't do that. 
So does does that make sense, it or does. is there anything I can clarify? No, that's it's great. It's just such a big thing. It just links all all so well together because we are yeah. more disjointed because of being pulled in different directions, different kids, different age groups, different needs that are going on all at the same time. So we're being pulled in different directions, and so then we're reacting to all the situations that happen with each other and we're more tired, we're more stressed. But it seems to me that you're saying that we need to um, have a more proactive approach to thinking how we can help our kids in the present moment and beforehand so that they can see what they're doing and ourselves. We have to see where our stress is and be able to recognize that. Yes, and I would say that the proactive piece is really taking care of ourselves. Because I would never want to say to a, ch- a parent, you need to anticipate what's going to come up for your kids so that you can head it off. Right. Like, I think that's asking too much of parents. You know, sometimes we can. Like, I've learned that if I bring a snack to school pickup every day and my kids can eat it on the way home, they're much less grumpy. And so in that way, I am often heading, up, uh, heading off a tantrum. Sometimes we still have meltdowns because they're so exhausted. Yes. But – you know, kids are unpredictable and one minute they're happy and the next minute they're screaming on the floor and you have no idea what happened. And so our best shot at heading off a sort of worse tantrum or a bigger meltdown is to do our best to sort of take care of ourselves and to be, I want to say as present as possible, but that's hard because in parenting for so many of us who are working parents, we are constantly dragged to focus on work, focus on the kid. And so when I say, as present as possible, what I want to say is we need to cultivate in ourselves the ability to notice when we are not present so that we can then choose to be present. Let me give you an example of how this often works with me. One of the mindfulness practices I do is every day I shower and I try my best to pay attention to the shower because one of the things that can happen is I have no idea how spaced out my brain is, that I'm thinking about planning a birthday party or scheduling a dentist appointment or a deadline I have to meet or, you know, is my kid being bullied or whatever that I will get to the end of the shower, my hair is wet, and I have no idea if I washed it. <laughs> yes. And so I'm standing there like being like, what did I do? And I didn't even notice how spaced out I was. If I'm standing there staring at my phone and checking Facebook and all this, because my kid comes over and they're like, you know, needing something from me and I'm kind of immersed in this online world and I'm not really noticing, oh, hey, I'm kind of checked out right now. I need to make a choice to like come back to reality for a minute then if I don't notice that dynamic is happening, what do I do? I snap at my kid because they're intruding on my little reality and nobody likes that. And so what I want to encourage parents to do, and this is what mindfulness is all about, is you don't have to be constantly present at every moment. That's not reality. That's not going to happen. Nobody's capable of that. But what we do need to work on doing, and this is the proactive piece, is noticing when we've totally disconnected, when we are lost in a world of our own thoughts and fears and worries, And being able to say, oh, that's happening. I'm on, you know, a different planet. I'm going to come back to reality right now and kind of just look around and notice what's happening either in my body or in my thoughts or just notice what's happening with my kid. For children, when we teach them mindfulness, what we are teaching them to do is notice their thoughts, notice the feelings and sensations in their body without getting all caught up and swept away by any of it. And then being able to say, huh, my tummy hurts. What does that mean? That's the curiosity piece. Can I get some help with it? Can I tell my mom or dad? Um, As opposed to just sort of 
like not really noticing the tummy hurts, but feeling really yucky all day and being kind of really grumpy and being maybe feeling, getting overwhelmed by big feelings and you don't really know where it came from. And then the next thing you know, the kid is having a meltdown and nobody knew where it came from. Yes. So it's kind of coaching kids to, to do that noticing piece and then to be kind of interested in that experience. Yeah. No, that's really good. I, I was I was reminded of a story that happened recently. We we do a lot of cooking and baking as a family, and just the way the kitchen is, everybody comes through and wants to have a nosy about what's going on. And I was teaching the the boys something. I can't remember what um, food that we were cooking, but I'd lined up all of the spices on one side, which is my custom. I usually put them all on one side, and as I put them in, in a kind of like a clock in whatever I was making, I put the the finished one that I finished using on the other side so I know which ones I've done because I found that I get pulled so many times from whatever I'm doing to go and do something else and when I come back is did I put the salt in or did I not put it in and that's kind of a big deal (laughs) when you're cooking to make sure you have the right things and so I have this practice of making sure that when I finished I put it on whichever side and as I was teaching them whatever food I, I forgot and I was making the only question at the end they said was, why do you do that? Why do you put one on one side? Because they saw I was being so deliberate about doing it. And it hadn't occurred to me that I was doing it anymore because it's just become a practice that I've done since I've had three boys who pull me in a in hundred different directions. Yes. <laughs> but um, I didn't even yes. realize that I was doing it. And now I watch them when they're making you know, their scrambled eggs or whatever it is. And they do that now do one on one side and one on the other and they say so that I can remember. So I was really happy to see that they they were focusing and realizing how powerful it was to to be mindful of what was going on. I I love that example because that is absolutely a mindfulness practice and I think that sometimes when people see the word mindfulness, like I've mentioned before, they assume I'm going to tell them they have to sit cross-legged and chant or yes. whatever. And as I write about in the book, anytime your kids are involved in something that is requires some amount of concentration or calls on them to be curious or creative or compassionate, that is a mindfulness practice. So when your boys were there at the kitchen, you know, working with you on this cooking project, and they were clearly watching what you were doing because they were curious about it, they were interested, you were essentially practicing mindfulness with them. And so And one of the beautiful things is you found a way to do it that works for you, that clearly worked for your kids because they they were interested enough to have questions, and that works for sort of the style in your family. And I don't don't ever want to ask parents to do something that's like, oh, that sounds boring or weird or uncomfortable or just deeply unpleasant. And if you said to me, like, Carly, you need to practice mindful cooking with your kids, I'd be like, well, no, I don't cook. I don't enjoy cooking. Like, my husband's the cook in the family, Mm -hmm. so that particular practice isn't going to work for me. But we have other ones. So I really encourage parents to say, start with what you already know and enjoy because mindfulness should actually make your life easier and more enjoyable. Not, I mean, sometimes mindfulness calls on us to be present for a deeply unpleasant experience, but in the, in the end, that presence will make it easier to manage the experience. But in general, if you find that your mindfulness practice is a source of stress for you, I want you to try a different way to do it because it shouldn't make your life any harder. Like we've already got enough of that going on. You don't need to insert more of it. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So you you have um, some young children in your family and, and I do too, middle school and elementary school. 
What's a mindful practice that you've seen work really powerfully in a family or in a family that you've worked with? This is a great question. So my daughters are six and eight. And one of the things I want to say to parents everywhere is that my family experience is is very deeply impacted by the fact that I have two little girls who are very close in age. They're 20 months apart. And your family experience, the listeners, is going to be different depending on how many children do you have? Do you have a parenting partner? Do you work? Are you home with them? You know, do your kids get along? Do your kids have similar interests? Are they very different from each other? And so one of the things I did for Ready, Set, Breed is I actually interviewed about 30 parents who practice mindfulness at their home because I realized that the practices that work in my home may not work in yours, depending on what your family culture is, what your background is, what your interests or religious beliefs, who your kids are and what they like to do. So I just want to start with that. Things that I have seen work is younger children are going to respond better to more concrete practices. So a breathing activity that I taught my children when they were quite young, and one of them likes it a lot, and one of them never uses it. And so again, it's kind of experimenting with different things to see what takes. It's called five finger breathing. So you hold up one hand and kind of spread out your fingers and you use your other hand to trace up and down each finger as you breathe. So you go up the thumb and you're breathing in, down the thumb, you're breathing out, up, you're breathing in sort of through each finger. Part of the practice with um, especially younger kids is just getting them to notice that their breathing is a thing, notice that they can become aware of it and notice that they can manipulate it if they want to. Uh, The five-finger breathing is quite helpful in just giving them sort of something concrete to do with their hands as they notice their breathing. So that works really well with one of my daughters. The other thing that I do with both my girls that they quite like is we will practice noticing practices. This works better with kids if you're outside, but outside is not necessary. I'll say, okay, we're going to take, you know, 30 seconds. That's short. It's really short. These are little kids. Keep it short. And we're just going to do noticing what we see. So at the end of 30 seconds, I want you guys to tell me two things you noticed. And it can be anything, anything. It can be something interesting, something boring, something ridiculous. Like, it's not you have to notice something you've never seen before. or You have to notice something super interesting. And just ask them to notice two things. And again, with younger kids, you want it to be time-limited, short, and give them a concrete number of things. Like I want you to find two or three. With older kids, you can say, let's just sit for five minutes and look around. And if you want to report back to me at the end, you can. But older kids can kind of tolerate that. And if you're wondering, you know, how do I know if this is working for my children? If you find that your kids are getting too silly or they seem bored, this may be a sign that the specific activity you are trying to do with them is either too easy, like sort of too young for their age or too hard. It also may be a sign they're tired or grumpy or they just don't want to deal with it. (laughs) So you don't, you never know, but we do a lot of noticing. So we'll do noticing what you hear, noticing what you see. We'll also go on noticing walks where we're not trying to get anywhere. We're just walking around and noticing. And this can often be a real mindfulness practice for the parents too. Cause when parents go on a walk, we want to walk somewhere. Like we're getting somewhere, we're getting exercise. We want to keep moving. And what you will find is that a kid will find a crack in the sidewalk and stare at it for like three minutes. And when you are a parent standing there and your kid is staring at a crack in the sidewalk for three minutes, it can feel unbearable. And so that is when we parents need to notice, why am I so bored? Why am I feeling a pool to keep moving? Can I just keep noticing with my kid? 
I'm, I'm imagining that a lot of parents out there are like, well, this is all fine and good, <laughs> but how is asking my kid to notice a crack in the sidewalk going to prevent or help me manage a meltdown? Right. Right. Yes. There, there's like no obvious connection there. Because often what we parents do is we're like, oh, my kid keeps throwing these tantrums and I don't know what to do about it. So I'm going to teach them mindfulness. And then what happens is the kid throws a meltdown, has a meltdown, and we say, okay, time to breathe. <laughs> and the kid is like, what are you talking about? Human beings can't really learn new skills or ideas when we're flooded by big emotions. Our brains yes. just don't work that way. So if you try to say to your child, I want you to notice what's going on in your body right now because I see you're really upset, or can you take some deep breaths to calm down? If we do that in the middle of a tantrum, and we haven't been practicing with our children when it's easy, they're not going to be able to do it. But if your kids can practice noticing, practice tolerating boredom, practice manipulating their breathing or noticing their breathing, when it's easy, when they're calm, when it feels fun, then when they're having a meltdown, and again, they can't be so wrapped up in the meltdown that they can't hear you, but when they get calm just enough that they can hear you, you can say, hey, remember that time we did that noticing walk? Do you want to just walk with me a little bit? Maybe if we move our bodies, you know, we can start to calm down. Or do you want to do some breathing with me? Or whatever it is, whatever you found that works for your child, you can then introduce it when they're freaking out, and they'll know what you're talking about. So I hope that makes sense. No, it does, because I think the hardest thing with tantrums and meltdowns is you can feel the tension and the stress building and you can feel yourself when you're in it slipping into that emotion and kind of giving way to the emotion that big feeling of I can't cope anymore or this is just not working and, and you want to be able to pull them out of that that feeling by using the right words and rem triggering them and reminding them of the mindfulness practices that that you've been practicing to to bring them back so yes and I, I have two thoughts in response to that one is you mentioned you want to be able to pull them out of that feeling. And I'm going to just tweak that a little bit and say, we want to make sure their behaviors are okay because any feeling, what I say to my kids is that, and I'm a social worker, so I say stuff like this and sometimes it drives them nuts, but I keep saying it. <laughs> any feeling is okay. Not every behavior is okay. That's so good. I will say to my kids, you are allowed to be so angry at me right now. That is okay. You are not allowed to hit me. Right. You know, you are Good allowed point. to be really sad or really annoyed, but we're in a restaurant, so you are not allowed to scream because the other people don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. So if you're so sad and angry that you can't stop screaming, we're going to leave the restaurant. Right. So I try whenever I can to distinguish with them between feelings and behaviors. It's hard. There are many grown-ups, including myself, who still can't do that sometimes. Yeah, me too. It's hard. The other thing I want to say is that the single best or technique or trick that parents have in managing their children's meltdowns is managing our own sort of internal meltdown that's happening. Yes. And I'm not saying that if your kid is melting down and you can't stop it, that it's your fault. Not at all. Not at all. But your best shot, any of our best shot at helping anyone in the family get through a tantrum or meltdown as smoothly and gracefully and quickly as possible is when we, the parents can stay calm. And for some parents, this is not hard. Like I have friends who can watch their kids scream their little heads off and they're like, all right, we'll just hang out. It's cool. 
and they are not triggered and or upset by that. I am yeah. not one of those people. I get terribly triggered and upset when my kids start screaming. You know, I've learned over time through my mindfulness practice that I'm getting better at managing and staying calm. And what I find is that the calmer I am during the tantrum, the faster we get through it, and the more exhausted I am at the end. Like, I find that my kids' meltdowns totally deplete me. Like, I, I find them completely exhausting. And so what I will say, because often then, you know, the kid calms down, and then they're happy and fine. And, oh, mommy, let's go play. And I'm like, are you kidding me, child? Like, <laughs> I need to go into a sensory deprivation chamber for 20 minutes. <laughs> yes. So, But I'm very transparent with my kids. I'll say, you know what? You did a lot of crying and screaming just now. I'm wondering if that was exhausting for you, because to be honest, it was exhausting for me. And so we got through it together, but now I need to rest a little bit because I'm really worn out after that. And so, again, that's me noticing my experience and just sort of accepting like, all right, I'm, I'm done. I'm fried. And kind of saying to the kid, to my child, this is where I am right now. This is how I'm feeling. So this is what we're going to do. As opposed to sort of being exhausted, not noticing it, sort of feeling overwhelmed, not not really being willing to let that be okay. And then snapping at my children, which is also something I do from time to time, but I try not to. (laughs) Yes. No, that's good. Hearing those, those words that you use, those scripts that you use are really helpful because I think being able to share your own emotions with your kids is something that not all of us as parents do very well. And we, we do go to that snapping and, and being cross very quickly but being able to share how we're feeling and and really model that for the kids you I think you've really shown how important that is for them to understand that's really good it's really important and the one thing I want to say about it two things one is it's not easy it's very hard to sort of admit these feelings to yourself and then share them with a kid and the other thing is that it's really important that we take responsibility for our feelings and not blame the kid for them for two reasons one is we don't want to make our child feel scared by saying, you made mommy feel bad. You made me angry because the child will feel scared that, that we can't take care of them. And they also might just feel incredibly guilty. Like they have the power to control our yes. emotions. The other reason is because we want to model for our children taking responsibility for our own feelings. So what I will say is I worked really hard to help you through that tantrum and now I feel tired. And so I I try really hard to use what we call I messages, the letter I, not your eyeball, I messages, which means, you know, we're just taking responsibility for how we feel. And that's, that's important. That's really good. I'm really enjoying all of these um, tools and and tips that you're sharing with us. We have busy families. We're full with in and out with the parents in and out for work. We've got children that are going to school and after school clubs and we gather together sometimes for family meals and sometimes we're not. How do you incorporate doing all this practice, the mindfulness practice, the things that you've just been talking about into the household when there are so many moving parts and we're all in different places? What, what are some of the things that you, you can suggest? This is a great question. To be very clear to the parents who are listening, we do not set aside a separate time for mindfulness practice in our family. I don't have the time. It's not how I work. Now, I do that on my own in the morning sometimes before the kids get up or when I'm out for some exercise. But I don't say to my children, now is our mindfulness time. We're going to go practice. It's just not how our family works. I try to integrate it into what we're already doing. So my kids and I like to color a lot. We'll sit around drawing. And so when I am drawing with them, I try to notice with them, hey, these different markers make different 
thickness of lines or what happens when we color outside of the lines or can you draw this or so I try to be curious with them I try to just notice with them what you're doing like hey I see you're really struggling with what you're trying to draw I try not to give them advice because advice or suggestions about how to do better isn't a mindfulness practice because in mindfulness we we're just there noticing what is happening and being interested in it we're not trying to improve it um, and then whatever we're doing, I'll try to help the kids either notice or be curious. So if we're driving to school, we will practice our, um, our, our noticing practice. What do you guys see? You know, between now and the next four blocks, I want you to tell me two things you notice. Or, you know, a big piece that we haven't talked about yet is kindness and compassion, which are a huge part of the mindfulness practice. And it's just about being kind to ourselves and other people sort of no matter what's going on, um, even when it's hard and especially when it's hard. I am still a beginner at this. This is not something that comes naturally to many of us. And it's, it's a practice by which mean, you know, when we do it, the more we do it, the easier it will come. I'll just try to say to myself and say to my kids, yeah, this is hard. This homework is hard or this, this activity you're working on is hard or, but you know, that's okay. It's hard for everyone. And that's, that's a kind thing to say to someone. It's hard for everyone. We're all struggling with this. If parents are wondering like, well, I don't know how to do this. Like, how am I supposed to do this? What I would say is, parents, before you start focusing on teaching this to your children, get a taste of it yourselves. You know, buy some books. There's a million out there. Download an app. Visit a website. See if there's a style that works for you, because there's many different ways to do this. Yeah. And, and, and try it for a few weeks. And Is this matching with my style? Does this make sense to me? Do I fundamentally get this? And is it working for me? That's, you know, there are people all over the planet who can say to you, well, the study said this is great. And that's great, but what, what matters is does it work for you? Yes. And once you start practicing it, it will kind of seep out into your family in ways that you didn't expect. So my daughters now know that when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I go into the kitchen, I put my hands flat on the counter, and I take a bunch of deep breaths. And sometimes they'll say, oh, gosh, be quiet. Mommy's about to lose it or something because they know <laughs> why I'm breathing. But they have now seen that I am capable of noticing when I'm about to yell. And I will even say to them, guys, I'm so frustrated. I feel like I'm about to yell at you. I really don't want to do that. So I'm going to go into the kitchen and take my deep breaths. And so what they're seeing is that being able to notice your big feelings and not just reactively explode, but making a different choice, they know that that's a thing now. Like that's, that's a possibility for them. And sometimes my kids actually do it. Not most yeah. of the time. They're little. We're still working on it, but sometimes they do. And so I would say for parents, I, I don't want parents to come away with this feeling like, oh God, it's one more thing on my to-do mm-hmm. list and I'm busy and tired and overwhelmed. What I want to say is, you know, listen to this podcast, listen to another podcast, um, find some way if, if mindfulness is piquing your interest to learn about it, see if it works for you. And then you will find ways to share it with your kid. And certainly Ready, Set, Breathe has a ton of ideas. Oh, that's brilliant. And that's why I wanted to ask the question, because I know that many families think, okay, here's another thing that I have to do. And and like I said, they're pulled in different directions. So I'm really glad that you, how you explain that it's, this is not an extra thing. This is just something that you are already doing probably, but just paying more attention to it. That that's really cool. Well, we've got a peaceful home with mindfulness, more practices. Now we've got, you've told us some ideas for us to try. But the kids go to school. Have you any examples of mindfulness practices that are used in schools that parents might want to be able to share 
in their local schools? I think there are an increasing number of teachers and faculty members at school who are practicing mindfulness on their own. And just by virtue of the fact that they are doing that, it's going to seep out into their classrooms. But I know that they are already teaching children the concepts of mindfulness in many schools, how to meditate in many schools. And meditation is basically like going to the gym for your brain. So if mindfulness, everyday mindfulness practice is kind of like, you know, parking on the other side of the parking lot or taking the stairs, uh, you know, kind of integrating in what you're already doing. Meditation is kind of like going to the gym. It's like saying, I'm going to set aside this time specifically to strengthen my brain. And what I find is that in schools, they can have better luck teaching children formal mindfulness practices than we can at home because of the peer pressure. The kids are going to sit there and see other kids doing it. They're less likely to sort of get up and walk away. They're less likely to say to their teacher, I don't want to breathe and then stomp off, which is what I've gotten from my kids many times. Um, So I I don't know exactly how they do it in schools because my focus is really working with parents, but there are several excellent books uh, that are geared towards schools. Mine Mine is directed towards parents. And so I'm happy to give you a number of references that you could put on your website that for parents who are interested in how can my kids do this at school, there are a ton of activities, really great books. Um, and a lot of people who are being trained in how to do this, there's a program called mindful schools that offers a year long training to teachers, um, to go back and then take this to their schools. So it's definitely happening. I'm just not the expert in it. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Where can we find out more about you? The best place to go is my website. It's carlanomberg.com. So that's C A R L A N as in Nancy, A U M as in Mary. B is in boy, U-R-G.com. And uh, yes, I wish I had a shorter name for that website, but that's my name. <laughs> no, that's great. Well, today I've been talking to Dr. Carla Nomberg, author of Ready, Set, Breathe, Practicing Mindfulness with Your Children for Fewer Meltdowns and a More Peaceful Family. And she also has authored the book Parenting in the Present Moment, How to Stay Focused on What Really Matters. We've been talking about mindfulness practices for families, for kids, so that we can have some peaceful homes. Thank you for being on the show today and sharing such excellent information. Thank you. It was really fun. You have a great day. You too. Take good care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope something that was said during the interview has triggered you to investigate something more and helped you make a decision for your wonderful family. So now it's your turn. I'd love to hear about what happens in your family and your thoughts about mindful practice and mindfulness. Use the hashtag creatingfamilyhaven on Twitter and Instagram to talk about this episode or share your ideas in the Facebook group. It's called the Society of Nimble Parents with School Age Kids. Thanks for being here today. I know there are many things that you could be doing right now and I'm glad that you've chosen to be here today. Don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. I know it seems like a small thing, but it's one of the best ways as it helps new people to find the show. Show notes for today's show with links are found at growingnimblefamilies.com forward slash 204 because it's episode 204. Sign up there while you're there for my growing library of parenting resources and principles over there on my site. See you again next time. Goodbye.